The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston. This fall, Fifth Avenue Church has been taking a close look at wonder. For the past 11 weeks, we've studied the human experience of awe. All when gazing at the wonders of the natural world, all when witnessing acts of moral goodness, and even all while experiencing the depths of human suffering. Next Sunday, Pastor Sarah will bring our 12-week conversation about wonder to a conclusion. It's been quite a journey. Along the way, many of you have shared your own experiences of awe, moments when you felt like you were standing in the presence of God with us. Thank you. Thank you for letting the clergy in on your beautiful and varied senses of wonder. Today, on Pledge Sunday, we're going to explore the sort of awe that can come from being part of a community that is striving to be about God's work in the world. It's what Darby referred to as collective effervescence. And to help us explore this branch of the tree of wonder, we're going to turn our attention to the good book and first to the book of James. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes to us from James chapter 1, beginning with the 17th verse. These words should sound a little familiar to you given what just happened. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And a second reading from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, beginning with the fifth verse. When you offer a sacrifice of well-being to the Lord, offer it in such a way that it is acceptable on your behalf. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of the, your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, 
profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning we're going to talk about the awe, the luminous abiding light that can emanate from the courageous efforts of communities of faith. And we're going to start with a commandment found in the Hebrew Bible in the book of Leviticus. This commandment is the commandment Jesus identifies as the most important guidepost in all the good book. This two-part law, Jesus says, summarizes all of the other laws. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Christians have long noted that Jesus ties the love of God to our love for neighbor. In fact, Christ implies that these two commandments are symbiotic. They, they feed off of each other. So as our own Julie Chen Moonves points out in her new audiobook, But First God, when you throw yourself wholeheartedly into embracing God, what happens next is inevitable. You develop a deeper love for all God's children. Now, is that true? This past week, I read a wonderful tribute to actor Matthew Perry, written by Perry's friend and fellow comedian, Hank Azaria. Azaria begins by saying that in his latter years, Perry told friends that he wanted to be remembered as someone who helped people get sober even more than he wanted to be remembered as a very famous friend. And then Azaria describes the moment when Perry took him to his first AA meeting. And this is how Azaria tells it. I had a serious drinking problem. I knew Matthew had quit alcohol, so I asked him to take me to a meeting. On the way to his first gathering, Azaria felt doubtful and scared. And then he walked into the room with Perry and saw a large group of people sitting in a circle, and Azaria felt downright daunted. It was hard to imagine, he said, that this odd collection of people could make me feel better or help me stop drinking. In that moment, Perry recognized the look on Azaria's face. And he leaned over to his friend in what Azaria described as a half-joking, very loving way, and said, 
It's something, isn't it? God is a bunch of drunks together in a room. (laughs) Now, some may find Perry's words sacrilegious. I don't. It's something, isn't it? God is a bunch of drunks together in a room. I've got to tell you, when I read that phrase, I smiled. I laughed. I laughed because more than anything, Perry's edgy assessment made me think of church. (laughs) Now, is that really how you want to approach Pledge Sunday, Pastor? (laughs) Hang with me for a second. Church, and by that I mean every church that I have ever been a part of, is an odd assortment of imperfect, often struggling, frequently cranky, yearning for hope people. People who gather together because they know, because they are willing to admit that they need guidance and help, using the words of AA, from a higher power. As such, the best churches And the best AA meetings are places of compassionate support, honest accountability, and meaningful action. They are a circle of people who seek to build each other up and to do good in the world. In this work, I think churches are factories of awe. And I'm confident this is true. When people dismiss churches and their place, their value in this world by citing the very real wrongs that religious communities have perpetrated throughout history, I pause, I take a breath, and I do my best to apologize, to acknowledge the truth in their criticism. And sometimes there is a whole lot of hard truth to be acknowledged. Typically, though, after confessing, I take another breath and I invite our critics to look deeper. In the same way that Matthew Perry invited Hank Azaria to push past his initial skepticism of AA and invite critics to stick their toe in the waters of church and to give it a try. And if they poke their head in this building, take one look around and turn to me with a doubtful look, I'll probably say, it's something, isn't it? (laughs) This is the motley crew that God has tapped to do the work of angels. The work of angels. The healing of broken places, bit by bit. By bit. This is our mission. I witness it every week. And if you spend a few days in the belly of this imperfect community, you will see it too. You will see people offer support to someone facing a challenging medical diagnosis. You will see volunteers carrying food to shut-ins and putting winter coats on the shoulders of our homeless neighbors. You will see, in a world torn 
by violence and war, children singing about peace. You will see people sharing, sharing their time, sharing their creative energy, sharing their warm hearts, and yes, sharing their resources. All this sharing has ancient roots. In Leviticus, God asks the Hebrew people not to be too efficient when it comes to reaping their grain or harvesting their vineyards. Leviticus instructs folk not to swing their sickles too close to the edge of the field. It, it tells people to actually leave grapes clinging to the vine. Why? Well, the good book explains, fields and vines should be imperfectly harvested so that those with no land, no capital, no means of production can make a life for themselves and their families. It's no accident that in scripture, this passage about sharing resources sits right next to the commands to love God and love neighbor. It's all connected. And you know this. When you share your pledges with this church, I know you feel it, love for God, love for neighbor. I see it on your faces every year. And, and I've got to tell you this, this connection, the connection between our sharing and God's work frequently leaves me in a state of awe. I want to tell you one more story this morning. Many of you remember the chaotic scenes that played out on our screens in the summer of 2021 when the United States rapidly withdrew its forces from Afghanistan. We can still picture Afghan men, women, children, people who feared the return of the Taliban rushing to the airport in Kabul at that time, some of you emailed me, Scott, what can we do to help? And we heard you. We sent funds to relief and resettlement organizations. We, we did what we could with the resources that were still hanging on our vines. And then two years ago, something happened that I haven't been able to talk about until now, and you'll understand why in a moment. Two years ago, we received a call from a Presbyterian church in Austin, Texas. They put our outreach staff and eventually our outreach committee in touch with Mr. Zahid. It's Mr. Zahid's story that I want to share. Mr. Zahid, a practicing Muslim, is an Afghan expatriate, a very bright guy who speaks fluent English, Dari, Pashto, and Urdu. So it will not surprise you that in recent years, Mr. Zahid served as a translator in Kabul, working with the US military and their Afghan counterparts. 
But in 2021, of course, everything changed. The American withdrawal and the resurgence of the Taliban meant that Mr. Zahid, his wife, his children, and his extended family were in a very precarious, very dangerous situation. They sought asylum. And that put them on a traumatic trajectory, sent them on a traumatic journey. Some of the family were evacuated to Africa. Some were sent to a refugee camp in the United Arab Emirates. Eventually, Mr. Zahid's extended family were settled in Canada, while he and his immediate family were sent to Texas. And that's when we got the call. The call, fielded by Christine Boyle, director of outreach, explained that Mr. Zahid, a medical scientist by training, was hoping to study radiology in the United States. His goal was to become a medical physicist, to be part of a care team that could diagnose and recommend interventions for cancer and cardiac patients. And that's when our outreach team and outreach committee quietly went to work. They talked to Mr. Zahid. They asked him about his hopes and dreams. They asked me to network with the universities here in New York where he was applying for admission. They talked with other Presbyterian partners about finding housing for Mr. Zahid and his family. And eventually, they elected to provide direct financial support for Mr. Zahid's tuition. Today, thanks to all of you, Mr. Zahid is in radiology school here in New York. Mr. Zahid and his family have housing, he has a job, and he and his wife are expecting a third child. My friends, Mr. Zahid and his family are here today. Online worshipers, I apologize. Because Mr. Zahid and his fam extended family face ongoing security risks, we have intentionally seated these good souls in a place where they cannot be seen on camera. But they wanted to be here. They wanted to say thanks to this congregation. And they wanted, I wanted you to have an opportunity to say thanks to them. My friends, from the depths of my soul, I thank you. I thank you for making awesome, truly life-changing stories like this possible. I thank God for you. As the book of James observes, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down 
from the Father of lights. Bless you for being church, an honest-to-goodness factory of wonder, for being a motley crew of generous, neighbor-loving angels, conduits in this shadowed world for God's life-changing and abiding light. I pray traveler's mercies on all who will be journeying this week. May you have a safe trip both to and from Thanksgiving. I also want to invite you, as we have in past years, to come forward to the communion table before you leave. There are apples and pears, squash and gourds, and we would love it if you would take something uh, from this table and have it on your Thanksgiving table this year. Seriously, we would love everything to go because what remains will become mulch, so please take me seriously. I also uh, wanna let you know that Mr. Zahid and his family will be at coffee hour today if you would like to greet them personally. There's a wooden sign upstairs in the church house in the sixth floor conference room that says in Latin, Deo fretus arumpe. The phrase means, in case your Latin isn't you know, really right there, the phrase means trusting in God, sally forth. As legend has it, these words were spoken at the Battle of Newark by the mayor of Newark in Britain, and they were voiced to a battalion who was about to leave a walled companion and to ride out into a dangerous world. So we say these words at the end of our staff meetings sometimes, Deo fretus arumpe, we, we like the charge and it also sounds kind of funny, a rumpe. <laughs> and now we've printed those words on stickers for you. Um, call this a little bit of Pledge Sunday swag. It's there as a booster shot of courage, a dose of hope for challenging times. It's a benediction. For while it is most assuredly tough out there, we are determined to stay focused on the work of God's love. Deo fretus arumpe. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.